Slaying It with Santa Rob is sponsored by Brett Christmas Mustache Wax. If you've got a mustache that you'd like to curl up the way I do, head over to bscenterprises.com. Look at the wide variety of products that Brett Christmer has to offer. Use discount code SANTAROB and receive 15% off your order. We're also sponsored by Hotspot Collectibles and Toys. If you like collecting things such as action figures, Star Wars, video game systems, video games, head over to hotspotcollectiblesandtoys.com. Look at the wide variety of inventory they have. Once again, use discount code SANTAROB and receive 15% off your order. Now let's get ready to slay it with Santa Rob. Welcome to episode of 11 of Slaying It with Santa Rob. And uh, if you've been with me uh, through all these episodes, you, uh, you know that you never know who I'm going to have on as a guest. Well, today is no exception. This is somebody that I met 11 years ago at a Comic-Con. It was the first Comic-Con that I ever went to with Ron Brown from Once Upon a Platypus. And uh, I was super excited to meet this guy, even though I had no idea who he was. I was familiar with his work, and I know that you will be too. Uh, Craig Bowman is is with us today. Craig has been uh, a creator for the Archie's comic strip and comic book for years. And uh, he's written a lot for the Archie's. He's, he, he's written Superman. He got me through uh, 2020 with Christmas Never Sleeps, which was a, a panel strip that he did online. And I'm super excited to have him on the show. So welcome to the sleigh. Craig Boldman. Craig, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Of course we I'm made here. it. Where else would I be? We're, well, everybody's got to be somewhere. <laughs> Hello, Rob. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you doing? You know, I, I feel good. I'm, I'm a little wore out. I just got home from the gym a few minutes ago, so I'm I'm wore out but i'm excited to talk to you tonight because i want to introduce a lot of people to what you do they know your work but they don't know who you are oh good so i thought that would be cool um for anybody listening i met craig about 11 years ago at the cincinnati comic con wow 11 years ago 11 years ago oh dear uh i was i was there with with ron brown um tagging along and that was the first con i ever went to that was really yeah i i had never gone to one before i never saw myself going to anything like that and i and i thought he was i thought he was a big nerd for going <laughs> well <laughs> you you might be right <laughs> but but there were two people there that i wanted to meet and you were one of them and, and dave Akers was the other one from the from from spongebob wow and did you get to meet dave I got to meet Dave. I met Dave first, but I was more intimidated meeting you because I knew the Archies way before I knew SpongeBob. Wow! So that was a big day for you. It was a big day for me, and, and uh, you you drew a, a a hot dog for me of the the famous Archies dog and signed it to my daughter, and it's still proudly displayed on her wall. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, anyway, 
I'm just curious how you got involved in, in cartooning and illustrating and what led up to what you do now. Mm, yeah, it's a good question. It's a long and winding road. Um, uh, well, I, the easy answer is um, I, ha- I, I have an older brother. I had an older brother. He's passed away now, uh, Lloyd. He was a year older than me, and uh, he was like the point man. He would, uh, he, he would find the interesting things to do, and okay. I, the younger brother, would tag along and stick my nose in and see what he was up to, and then I would do those things too. Okay. So somehow he got interested in comics, so I got interested in comics. And... Um, uh, let's see. It seems to me the the earliest comics I can remember reading were um, an issue of The Flash and okay. an issue of the Justice League. And, and um, I, I saw those at a uh, we were on vacation. We were in a camp a cabin somewhere on a campground. And um, and I remember plaid bed sheets. And I remember these two comic books. And the Flash comic was called Who Doomed the Flash? And it showed uh, uh, an apparently dead Flash laying on the ground in a spotlight surrounded by the floating heads of all of his enemies. Hmm. And then the Justice League comic was um, uh, The Riddle of the Robot Justice League, it was called. Okay. And uh, the Justice Leaguers were all battling in, in some sort of sports arena. They were battling um, robot duplicates of themselves. Oh. And, and uh, uh, the plot was uh, uh, supposedly these robots were, were designed to be just like the Justice Leaguers, except without any little uh, flaws that they might have. So they should be okay. unbeatable. But in the end, they got beat. Right. I, spoilers, they got beat. Justice always prevails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Lloyd got me interested in in those, and uh, I never looked back. And Lloyd and I used to draw our own comics on, uh, you know, sheets of uh, typing paper. Sure. And we we were competitive uh, in a, an artistic sense. We he would do something, then I would try to do something. Uh, you top him, you know, you did this, now I'm going to top that. And uh, so that's sort of how we developed our drawing skills. And so I I stuck with it. Lloyd always was a a terrific uh, artist and illustrator, but he also branched out into um, music. And he was, uh, uh, I I would say, primarily a a musician um, for his profession. Uh, but uh, so that's that's really where I um, got my start. But they uh, got my st- my interest. That's where my interest in comics came from. But um, then many, many, many years later, uh, my first um, sale in the comic book business was a Superman script that I wrote uh, and sent it to uh the guy who was the Superman editor at the time, who was Julius Schwartz, who was the editor of 
both uh, Who Doomed the Flash and Riddle of the Robot Justice League. So Wow. So it came that? full circle. Yeah, it came full circle. So that's and how. So you actually wrote a Superman script. The story. Yeah, you know, the odd thing is, uh, so eventually um, I, I, I stuck with uh, drawing comics and um, I mean, as a, a pastime, as, uh, just for fun. But then I um, got into all the art classes in school. And uh, so that became my focus. And then I would draw comics in all my other classes too. Like when I was supposed to be doing math, I'd be drawing comics. And when I was supposed to be doing science, I'd be drawing comics. So at some point it seemed like I was not suited for anything except for drawing comics. So that's the path that I took. Then I, um, I found out about the um, Joe Kubert school of cartoon and graphic art. Joe Kubert, one of the all time great comic book artists, um, took the uh, step of of opening a school uh, to teach people how to do what he did. And I got in on that. And, and so this is a, a long way around of, of saying that I trained to be a comic book artist. But ironically, as they used to say in the, the old Superman comics, uh, my, my first sale my first professional sale in the comic book business it was as a writer. That's right. Wow. And, and what, what year would have that been then? That was 1985. And, uh, oh, that sounds like a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and I had, I had been indulging myself with... Uh, so at the time, uh, DC Comics, it seemed to me, they were... I, I grew up reading the what, what they used to call the Silver Age of comics mm -hmm. back in the 60s and all that. And by this time, I think they called them, I don't know what they called that age in 1985, but um, it seems to me, the 60s comics had a, a very particular style. They were wacky. They had sort of a, um, I would say, sort of a folklore-ish bent to them because the characters would just do this fantastic stuff and you would just ride along with it and accept it. Mm -hmm. um, but um, by the, by the mid eighties, it seemed to me that DC was trying to model themselves after Marvel comics. Okay. Who, who was very That was uh, very successful at the time. And that um, was more of a, um, there is a soap opera aspects to the, the a lot of, angsty type stuff going on and um the stories were kind of grounded in a more grounded in a science fiction vein they uh, at least they weren't as fanciful as the the comics i grew up on and um so i think one weekend i was just binging on the old comics that i'd grown up on and particularly the superman comics which were really wacky and out there mm -hmm. and i and i recognized they weren't doing this kind of stories anymore and uh i just um i was going to write a letter and explain to them that i that i really missed those that old flavor of those stories but instead uh for whatever reason i 
batted out a little eight-page Superman story and basically sent a letter along with it saying, here, this is what I want to read. This is the kind of story I want to read. And it was, cool. it was a story that, that um, uh, focused on Jimmy Olsen, who was like the, um, he was like the poster boy for all of those wacky stories. He was just completely out there. Right. And so I, I, I did a little Jimmy Olsen story, sent it in. And like two days later, there was a call on my answering machine, which we used to have answering machines back then. Oh. And it was Julie Schwartz saying he wanted to buy this story and wanted me to do more. So that's, that's how incredible. it happened. That's incredible. You, I can I can only imagine how you felt when uh, you, when you got that message. I I, I was excited, um, but I I, I don't know. I, I I wasn't very self aware. I don't think I think I sort of. It seems. When I think about those days, it seems like I was just sort of stumbling through days. So I, I don't know what I thought. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was interesting. I'll say that. And eventually, uh, when Julie did his autobiography, he made a mention of that story uh, as being one of only two over the transom stories he ever bought in his entire career. Um, wow. That story and one by Elliot Magan. And those are the only stories he ever bought that he had not assigned to somebody to write. So collectors need to look you up on this one. That's probably worth a few bucks. That's right. Yes, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying very, to say. Yes. That's very cool. So what was that the only Superman story you wrote then? No. Then I started, uh, I, I, I started writing Superman stories for him regularly. Uh, which would have been great, except um, uh, within about a year, Julie uh, retired. And um, when he retired, all the rest of us who were working on Superman were sort of out the door. They DC Comics decided to do a clean sweep and um, take the opportunity to uh, do a revamp of Superman. And that's when um, uh, John Byrne came in and uh, did his take on Superman and sort of... Uh, did a, a fresh start on the character. So, um, okay. so that was my Superman career. That's, I, I can only imagine. That's... Well, I certainly look back fondly on, on those days. It, it was fun. Uh, but the odd thing is that um, I found out that you get pigeonholed in the business very quickly. And, um, so people knew me as a writer and they didn't want to know me as an artist. I, I really okay. had a hard time convincing people that I, that I really was an artist. So uh, I had that uh, little uh, thing to try to deal with. You, you wouldn't think about that in the comic world, but I guess it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess so. It's, yeah. It's, it's, so what happens after, after you're done writing Superman, where did you did you event, did you start drawing comics at that point? I did do a little bit of artwork. Um, by that time, some of my Kubert school pals were also in the business and they, uh, uh, they, they were, were, uh, good enough to, uh, you know, put in a good word to, uh, their editors and whatnot. So, uh, that was good. Uh, let's see there. 
Carl Kiesel was, uh, he was my, actually my roommate, uh, at the Hubert school. And we mm-hmm. stayed at the, uh, they had a, a carriage house on the grounds that they'd converted into apartments. And, um, let's see, Ron Randall, Tom Mandrake, uh, Steve Bissett, Jan Dersima, uh, Rick Beach, uh, Kim DeMulder. A, a lot of good people came through that school and ended up in the business. Um, so one way or another, I, I, I got to do a little bit of inking work, um, on a book called amazing man. It was sort of like a cult favorite humor book, uh, drawn by Stephen DiStefano, who was a genius, very young guy, but a genius somehow. And, um, uh, written by Bob Rosakis. So I got to ink a few issues of that. Um, but eventually I, I, uh, uh, I, the, the, the work I was doing for comics was pretty sporadic and I, I started doing other illustration work. Um, I started, oh, I should mention that, uh, that first Superman story that I did, uh, by the way, the title was Jimmy Olsen blob and, uh, in the story, Jimmy Olsen uh, turns into a blob. And it, it was drawn by a fellow named Howard Bender. And then Howard enjoyed working with me and I enjoyed working with him. So we actually, um, the next big move was we created a, a comic of our own and published a few issues of it. It was called Mr. Fix-It. That was sort of, we we enjoyed doing these wacky Jimmy Olsen stories. So Mr. Fix-It was uh kind of sort of a uh a retread of jimmy olsen but uh, dressed up in uh various ways so you wouldn't notice it right away okay (laughs) well where how do you end up working with the guys who do the archies oh okay so um so when the when i started doing i was doing less and less comic book work but um in Cincinnati, where I live, um, there were some opportunities for artists, and uh, it was the home of uh, Gibson Greeting Cards. Okay. And there's also a, a small greeting card company called Amberly that um, that I got my foot in the door there, and they they were terrific. They gave me all the work I could handle, and uh, eventually I started doing um, humor writing and drawing for. Um, uh, Hallmark uh, greetings and uh, American greetings and all those, all those companies. So after doing uh, and it, it, that was really a terrific opportunity because the, the greeting card work, uh, you weren't married to like one character for an extended period of time. You could, right. it was just little short pieces and you could uh, do different styles every time out. And so that, that was, that was a, a, a good opportunity. Uh, a way for you to practice your skills and whatnot. And also I um, learned how to do um, humor writing uh, very concisely and get a, a point across and this and that. And at some point it, it occurred to me that I, I was still very interested in comics and it occurred to me that um, that skill that I was developing there 
would probably lend itself well to Archie comics because I, I liked a lot of what Archie was doing at the time. Well, right. I grew up uh, enjoying a lot of Archie yeah. uh, comics. There, there were certain artists and writers that I could identify and was a fan of. And um, so I thought, well, maybe that's a, an avenue. And then at the time, I had been traveling out to uh, San Diego to go to the big convention out there. And so I thought, well, this year I'll, I'll make a point of meeting the Archie editor. Uh, Victor Gorelick was his name. Okay. And um, so I did that. And as it turned out, happily, he uh, said that he was familiar with my work and had actually been looking for a, a way to use me. So, wow. So it was a good meeting of the minds. So it worked out very happily. And then shortly after that, there was an opening on the Archie newspaper strip, and he called and asked if I'd be interested in uh, taking a crack at that. So that's that's how I jumped in. That's incredible. So you started off doing newspaper strips. Now, were, were you doing the writing? And, were, were you doing the whole strip, or was somebody else writing it and you drawing it? I was the writer. I was known as a writer uh, in, in the comics field. I, I was a writer. So, um, but I, I, unlike what I was doing uh, for Superman, where I would actually type out a manuscript and, and uh, fax it to them. We used fax machines at right. the time. Um, with Archie, I actually sketched out the strips. I, I uh, basically did rough uh, uh, layouts, rough sketches of the uh, newspaper strips, and I sent them in that way. And um, so that there was um, there are two purposes to that. First of all, um, it just seemed like an efficient way of uh, of making sure that uh, you know with, when you're writing jokes, when you're writing gags. You, you want to make sure that it, it's very if you if you change any little aspect of a gag you can lose the gag right so um by sketching it out it seemed to me to be the the surest way of making sure the artist whoever that was going to be got the uh got the point of what i was going for so that that seemed to be the best way of doing it and then at the same time uh, it got the, uh, I got to scratch my itch of wanting to draw and, um, and who knows, maybe one day they would use me as an artist when they saw that I could draw. So there was all that. <laughs> and, and did any of those strips that you did, that you wrote for, did they ever end up in a book? Yes, actually. It... Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, they did at least one collection of the um, Archie newspaper strips that I did. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's called Archie Day by Day. And it's a um, selection of um, strips that I did with Henry Scarpelli. Uh, now, when I, when I first started doing the strip, uh, Dan DiCarlo was the artist. So I didn't have to be concerned about Dan missing a point of, uh, of a joke because in addition to being a great artist, he had a fantastic comic sense right. and he was a cartoonist in the truest sense of the word so um, um so he did fine he did okay um 
so I worked, I worked with Dan for, um, a year or two maybe. And at some point he, uh, wanted to cut back on his workload. And so he, um, he bowed off of the, um, newspaper strip and, um, Henry Scarpelli came in and was the artist from then on out. So I would, I would do the, uh, sketches and they would be received by Henry and he would work from them. That's, I, you're living a lot of people's dreams. I'm, I'm kind of blown away by all this because it's, it's, it's so fun to listen to how things are created. Well, you know, it's interesting to talk about it because I, I don't talk about it too much, but it, 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 it's, I mean, as I describe it to you, I can sort of see it's like a connect the dots thing that one thing leads to another, to another, to another. And uh, here I am. But, um, you know, you know, even if it's, um, even if it's a dream job, when you're in the middle of it, it feels like a job. It feels like a job. It's something you got to do. You don't realize that you're doing something ultimately cool until a lot of years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in a way, um, I guess I'm of two minds about that. So let me say there is an aspect of it that, uh, uh, where you're aware that you're actually doing a job. But um, I got to say with the Archie stuff, it was always really a pleasure to, to do it. And um, not too long after the um, newspaper strip, they, they asked me if I'd be interested in um, taking over the uh, writing on the Jughead comic book. Okay. And, um, and he, he was my favorite character. And so that was great. Uh, the, the, my interest in Archie, I have to, um, if I had to point to one of the Archie, uh, artists or writers, I would say, uh, Sam Schwartz, who did the classic issues of the Jughead comic book were always my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he had a real, uh, they just were magic. I mean, he probably didn't draw as well as Dan DiCarlo. And, um, but he had a real style about him. And, yeah. and what, what I liked about Sam's work was it seemed to me that the story was like 30% funnier just because he was drawing it. Um, I could imagine the same story being done by other perfectly, perfectly great artists. And yet mm -hmm. I would still be more entertained uh, by, by Sam's take on it uh, because of like the, um, the body language of the characters, right. just um, there's just something really fun about them. And um, that's, that's, that's just, that's me. That was uh he was the guy for me. He was the guy. And, and, and Jughead kind of is everybody's favorite character. Well, he's a fantastic character. He's um, because, I mean, the, the, uh, every, all the characters in the Archie comics, it's a great, solid cast of characters. You can take right. that bunch of characters and do any story with them. Right. Um, 
and they just lend themselves very easily to any idea you want to do. Uh, but um, each of the characters had sort of uh, their own lane that they stayed in. Um, Archie was a uh, girl crazy and kind of awkward and clumsy. Reggie was like, uh, he was the, the uh, um, troublemaker. Um, and uh, of course, Veronica was the, the rich, um, stuck up, um, too good for you type girl. And Betty was uh, the, the sweet girl next door type. But uh, right. Jughead, his whole gimmick was that he was basically a nonconformist, which meant his gimmick was you could do anything with him. He was the wild card. You could just do anything and it wouldn't be out of place for him to do it. Right. So um, <laughs> unlimited story potential there. That's cool. So you and with Jughead, you did the did you do the digest or, or the comic book series or both? Oh, I did the comic book series. OK. And um, uh, I had a good run on it. It was uh, over 100 issues with um, uh, uh, me. I, I, I did the writing because I was the writer and uh, Rex Lindsay was the guy who did the artwork uh, on our run. And so he and I together uh, did over a hundred issues. And um, uh, let's see, Rich Koslowski was one of our favorite anchors. I'm not sure that he inked every issue, but um, as often as, as uh, we could get him. Um, and it just, it was a great combination. Uh, Rex also is one of these artists who is also a great cartoonist and he brings fun to the, to the story. I can, I can give him right. a script and I know that if my script wasn't that funny, he would, he would kick it up and it would be funny by the time he was done with it. So um, uh, it was, it was a, a, a great happy time. And then eventually those stories, all the stories that we did would eventually be reprinted in the digests as well. Yeah. Okay, and that's how that worked. Now, when you were doing the the issues, the the, the the comic books themselves, how often did those come out? Well, uh, it was monthly. So, um, what I was doing was I, I did the newspaper strip. So that's seven days a week. Wow. Um, and um, so I would figure on doing uh, the newspaper strip every day and. A comic book story a week so that that's the that's the pace that i set for myself and then i would also um, um write some additional stories and they would end up in the other titles as well the archie book or the betty and veronica book or all that how, how, did you have a, a backlog of ideas in your mind how did how did how did you stay motivated to keep all this stuff to keep it fresh you know it was fantastic. I never, I can't remember one moment where I was stuck for a story idea um, because uh, it would, I, I would give myself a couple of days to write the um, uh, comic book stories, but invariably at some point in the middle of writing that story, an idea would pop into my head for another story. So by the time I got done with one, 
another idea was ready to go. It was amazing. That's, that's so cool that you got to do what you love. Now, with all the writing, did you ever get to, to do any of the illustrating and cartooning? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no. Well, oh. not, not, not for Archie. There was a, there was a time uh, Henry Scarpelli uh, um, uh, late in the game, he um, uh, passed away. Um, he had, had become ill and uh, passed away. And there was some discussion that I would take over the um, art on the strip as well. Okay. But, um, uh, but in that case, um, I dragged my feet because I, I felt like I needed to get sufficiently ahead on the writing before I could sit down and get to work on the art. And uh, I don't know, maybe I got cold feet or something. I just, I just never, in my mind, got sufficiently ahead on the writing by the time I um, uh, went to Victor and said, okay, let's go. He said, ah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think your heart's in this or, or something like that. So, so I never did it. You never did it. And then w when, when did the, what year was it when you stopped writing for Archie or are you still writing for Archie? Well, I am still writing for Archie, but, um, uh, but the, the type of material that I do is not uh, being done that often anymore um that archie's gone off in other directions um a lot of the books they publish now are uh they take their cues from the um oh there's a, a an archie tv series on the cw network in riverdale riverdale and uh that was uh, popular and so they started um doing books um that would, um, um, you know, uh, be in, in that sort of wheelhouse. And so, um, there was less and less of the traditional, uh, Archie comic book style being done, but I still do them. Uh, um, mostly it'll be new material for the digests. Okay. Um, and, um, they usually have some, some new material up at the front of the book and then the uh, the back of the digest is filled with reprints. You know, there there have been so many Archie stories. I don't know why they were right. made to do any new material. But I think the last ones that I actually paid attention to was after high school when they got married. Yes, right, right, right. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then, and, and then. I know my, my daughter and I got hooked on Riverdale when it first came out before it got overly strange. <laughs> and and it got to the point where I just, I lost interest in that because it wasn't the Archies to me anymore. Well, I can sympathize with that. You know, the, the, the first, the first couple thing, I mean, the first few episodes, I'm thinking, yeah, this is close, but not quite. The characters are kind of there, but these aren't Archie storylines in my world. Right, right. Well, I hear you. Archie, Archie would never date Miss Grundy. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just not happening. But it happened on Riverdale. But I, If I had thought of that, I'd have done that story. <laughs> Miss Grundy was n not the Miss Grundy that you wrote for. No, but it would be funnier if it was. Yes, it probably would. 
So well, what what else you got going on besides the you know besides Archie's? All right. Um. So um. Uh, let me see here. What do I have going on? Well, I've been doing a little bit of conventioning, and the what I've been banging the drum on at um, the latest conventions is um, it's a character called Captain Catnip. Does that name mean anything to you, Captain Catnip? Not yet. Okay, so are you old enough, Rob, to remember a company called Carrollton Comics? I remember Harvey. Okay, this this is not Harvey. This is Charlton. So back in the day no. when I was growing up, you had your DC, you had your Marvel. And then if you'd bought all the DCs and Marvels and you still want to read some comic books, you'd look around and over there at the bottom of the comic rack, there'd be these comics from Charlton. Okay. And so you'd reluctantly buy a Charlton comic or two. And um, uh, actually, I, I, I really liked uh, Charlton comics um, but they were they were very different from DC's and Marvel even by just a glance you could tell they were not the same product uh, Charlton comics were published out of their own factory in Connecticut and um, I guess the story is that the, the reason they it was a big printing plant okay. and, and the reason they did comics at all was just to keep the presses running all the time. It was, it was a, a good maintenance to keep the presses running. Right. So they published comics uh, for that reason. But this is the company that produced um, the Blue Beetle, uh, the Steve Ditko Blue Beetle that I loved, and okay. The Question, and uh, Captain Adam. But then at the, at, the, at the far end of their history, they published... Um, what was the name of that comic? Charlton, Charlton Spotlight, maybe it was called. It was like a showcase sort of book where they would bring out new concepts and see if anything clicked with the readership. And um, so uh, Tim Fuller was the name of this cartoonist. Uh, and him, uh, he and um, a fellow named uh, John Leisure, I believe, uh, did an issue uh, with Captain Catnip was their character. And it was uh, um, like a funny animal superhero sort of thing. It okay. was like, a, uh, kind of like a Batman type um, parody sort of thing. And um, it was pretty good, but it lasted for, um, I think, I think one issue came out and then the company went out of business. So huh. that was the end of Charlton comics. Um, but, Tim Fuller, uh, he, I, I discovered down the line that he um, is from my area, and he was at the, he was at the um, uh, Cincinnati uh, Comic Expo. Okay. Sitting, uh, his booth was across from mine, so I struck up a conversation with him, and we talked about Cat and Catnip, and I asked him why he didn't do any more with that, and he said, well, he had never come up with uh, st stories that satisfied him. So I said, well, I can write stories. And um, so he took me up on my 
claim. And uh, so I started writing Captain Catnip stories and uh, we revived this character and we've been doing that for a while now. So that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. He, uh, I really like it. Uh, but I'm the writer and he's the artist. We've got to get you into cartooning here somewhere. I know. Actually, in this current issue, the one that just came out, uh, uh, I actually do finally do some artwork um, that sees print in, in the book. Um, we had uh, we divided this issue into uh, three stories, and I did one of them. Now, where can people find Cat and Catnip now if they want it? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Well, uh, you can definitely find uh, find Captain Catnip at any convention where I am. Um, and uh, gee, I should have this information handy. Um, I don't want to give wrong information. Can we just like put a link or something out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, send it over. We'll we'll make sure by the time this gets uh, put up that we're, we've got everything we need. Okay, good, good. No. So, uh, yes, everybody needs to run out and get Cat and Catnip. So I'm excited about that. And uh, what else? So there's, I, I lately I've been um, working on a character of my own creation called Taily Poe. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, a, I've been doing preliminary, I, I've been threatening to get back to do some more with this character in a long time because it's a, it's my own homegrown character and I really enjoy working uh, on it, but um, rarely get a chance to do it. Um, you know, everybody in this business has um, ideas that they keep in a drawer that they intend to get to one day, but uh, very often you don't get around to it because you're busy making a living or whatnot. Right. And, life, but, uh, life. Life gets in the way sometimes. Yes. Um, so I, I uh, decided it was time to, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm no spring chicken. So I figured, well, if I'm going to do it, I better do it. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm trying to fit that into my schedule. Taylor Poe is uh, actually the, the biggest mistake I made was giving him that name because nobody can pronounce it. <laughs> they, all, they, they pronounce it wrong and if you try to spell it on your computer it comes out tailpipe and, <laughs> uh, and people say tally po is usually how they say it but it's tally po because he has a yeah. tail and, uh, and but anyway i'll get through to him uh, <laughs> and um but this is a this is a a character that's been festering in the back of my brain since Hubert school days. That's actually where I came up with him. Wow. And Taylor Poe actually is a an Appalachian folk tale. You've probably okay. heard some version of it growing up. Okay. There are a lot of versions of it. And um, when at, at the Hubert school, this was pre-internet days. Uh, if we needed some reference material to uh, uh, for a project, we'd have to get on the train and go into Morristown, New Jersey and go to the library and look things up in the encyclopedia. And so I made one of those trips and somehow I found a, a book of Appalachian folk tales. I don't know why it caught my attention, but I, I, I just loved it. It uh, 
the the stories in this thing were just hilarious and mm -hmm. this uh, story called Taylor Poe just uh, appealed to me and so I tucked the idea in the back of my mind I thought that I could do something with it comic book wise sometime and um, I it just lay lay there in the back of my mind until until they got around to inventing the internet and um, then I, I started a website and I decided I wanted to uh, put some, I wanted to put something up on my website regularly so people would have a reason to return to it every week. Right. And so I thought, oh, I'll use that strip idea that I had. And so I started doing Kaylee Poe as a, a weekly strip. And um, so that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's how I got use out of that. Oh, but, and by the time it, uh, finally uh came out of my head it was like completely had almost nothing to do with the original uh appalachian folktale it was completely <laughs> retooled it was completely retooled but um somewhere deep in its dna it, it still has that um uh folktale origin and it's about um what it is now what it, what it was the the folktale had to do with this um uh, he was a hunter. He lived in the woods. He didn't have any uh, luck uh, finding any food and he was starving and he's going to sleep hungry. And uh, one night he hears this scratching at the door and, and he, this something, something gets into his cabin and he, in some versions of the story, he picks up a, a knife and some he grabs his shotgun. And, but he, throws a knife and hits this thing and it screams and runs out there. And then in the next morning he finds this, this tail of this odd creature laying on the, the floor and he makes a stew out of it, I suppose. Oh. And uh, then that night after he's filled his belly with whatever this horrible thing was, mm -hmm. he hears the scratching at the window and he hears a voice saying, I want my taily po. I want my taily po. <laughs> and um, not to spoil it for you, but it doesn't turn out well for the for the hunter. Yeah. <clears throat> well, all that is out. All that none of that is in my story. So now it takes place in a big mansion, right. and it centers around this um, uh, this young fellow who is uh, the heir to a fortune and is is father is a real hard-bitten businessman type and Taylor Poe in this is this it's sort of like the um the flip side of this uh, young man he, he, he's a creature that lives under his bed and basically just uh exists to create stir up trouble for the for the young man and uh then uh, oh it's funny uh it's all done in a humorous um uh, humorous tone and uh, I love it every time I get a chance to work on it I really enjoy it so uh, I'm going back for another round of that now will, will, would that be available in book form if somebody were to come to a con to see you well here, here's the thing about it I enjoy working on it so much that I I will work on it even without having thought about what I'm going to do with it um, uh -huh. so I assume at some point, uh, I mean, it'll either be, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get it out in book form, I'm sure, and 
and um, I'll make sure that it's available for you to grab a copy. Now, but, um, yeah. The thing that I love is you. You don't. You you don't probably don't know this, but you saved me from losing my mind in 2020. I saved you from losing your mind in 2020. You did, because your <laughs> your your panel strip that I'm quite partial to on Instagram. Oh, yes. was one of the things that I looked forward to every freaking day. It, talk- it, it's one of the few things that actually made me grin in 2020. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm very flattered and I'm very happy to hear that. And so you're talking about uh, the Christmas strip. Oh, I am absolutely talking about the Christmas strip. I, I, I'm quite partial to Christmas, as you know. But, but that strip, it, it, uh, it brought balance to my life <laughs> when it was needed. Okay, so what you're talking about is, uh, uh, let's see. So this was, I mean, it's in, in a way, it's the same. It was the same reason why I started doing Tailypo. Back then, I had a website, and I wanted to put some content on, on it. Uh, and now... Um, now I'm on Facebook, and I decided I wanted to put some regular content on that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. So uh, I, I can see where you might have an affinity for this strip. It was um, a daily panel and uh, had to do with I, – I, I launched it on um, Christmas, uh, Christmas Day. Uh-huh. And uh, – I, I posted it one panel a day, and the, the concept was it was about uh, here it's Christmas. Santa Claus has just come home from doing his job, and now let's follow him through the year and see what he does during the year from this Christmas to the next Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the concept. And I thought um, a panel a day, I can I can handle that. That's not going to be a uh, that's not going to be a hardship. That'll be fun. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing that. I, I would, I would buy the T-shirt, I'd buy the movie, and I'd buy the book. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you're biased because you are Santa Claus. Well, that, that, that's true. And, and fortunately, I don't have these little little guys running around, kind of making my life miserable either. Well, so well. Okay, I'll take your word for that. Um, so that I called this strip, um, uh, Christmas never sleeps is what it's called. And it's, um, it's a, uh, actually I, I had come up with that idea a couple of years before I actually started producing it for, um, for online. Um, and not too long ago, I did find, uh, an old manila folder that had, uh, sketches and notes from my earliest concept of it. And it. It's quite different than what it ended up being. But um, yeah, it was great. I, I just decided um, to jump in and do this thing. I think I, I don't know how early I started working on it, but I do remember that I had it all finished by February and then I, I could just post a panel a day uh, right. for the rest of the year. But uh, I love that. And I, I guess I do have a, I have an affinity for Santa Claus. 
Yeah. And what, what I've noticed about Paley Poe and then this, because I really do sort of associate myself with these two strips, they're, they're both um, strips that, that uh, are personal to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I put myself in them. But um, Santa Claus, um, I, I told you I did this, uh, this comic book with, with uh, Howard Bender called Mr. Fix-It. Back, mm-hmm. back in the, um, that was sort of a spinoff of the, the Jimmy Olsen thing. And I told you it was a variation on Jimmy Olsen. Well, in that book, since we couldn't use Mr. Fix-It was our take on Jimmy Olsen. But he was like, uh, it took place in the future and he was a handyman and he could fix anything and got him into trouble. But we couldn't use Superman. So instead, I used this, um, I created this character called uh, Admiral Bird. And uh, he was our Superman character because he would bring in the fantastic elements. He would most likely show up on Mr. Pixit's doorstep with some sort of a problem and uh, but he he had all sorts of fantastic um uh elements to him and in my mind he was santa claus i actually had him he looked like santa claus but he wore disguises he wore uh, sunglasses and a heavy coat and but in my mind he, he was santa claus because okay uh because santa claus is can do anything that superman can do they're both equally fantastic characters so right. he, he served the purpose for me so so i've sort of um stuck with santa claus uh a, 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 as a, a dyna- dynamic figure through my career and it occurred to me that um i have really um i think of taley poe and uh christmas never sleeps both as important strips to me and it right. occurred to me that I didn't actually create either of those characters out of whole cloth. I borrowed them and and modified them, right, to uh, uh, suit my purposes. So, well, you made them your own. I made them my own. Well, I, I didn't make Santa Claus my own, but I, but I I did bring new little wrinkles to the character that I I, I like that. Yeah, uh, because there's all sorts of versions of Santa Claus, and I so I, um, I I have I think produced my own take on him. So yes, I I'm uh, right now trying to figure out how to put that together into some sort of book form. That would be um, awesome. Yeah, I I'm really looking forward to it. The what's interesting about the way that strip was done is it's a it's a continuing story. I mean, it, it continues from day to day, and yet um, it's supposed to be a year's worth of Santa Claus's life. Right. And so the, the, the passage of time um, takes some interesting, you have to take interesting liberties with it because you can have a little plot that runs for uh, uh, by the time you get done telling this little mini story, you've used up a month, right? In real time, and um, uh, it, it if you sit down and if you if you read it panel by panel, day by day, it's a year's worth of adventures. But if you sat down and read 
read it in one sitting, um, it wouldn't feel like a year, I think. Right. So uh, we'll have to see how that works out. Well, I'm, I, I went back and looked to see if there's anything new there, and I was pressured there wasn't. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'll go, maybe I'll inspire you to do something else just to bring them back. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll bring them back eventually. I've done two rounds of them now. The first one was right. uh, more or less just a day in the life sort of thing that I, I really had fun with it. And the second one is a, a murder mystery, a Santa Claus yeah. murder mystery. And um, I, I that was less less well thought through. I mean, I had the I had the I had the main points uh, figured out in my head, right? Um, but I, I was I was curious to see how how it was going to work, and uh, I, I I think I'm happy with it, but. Um, Again, when I sit down and read it all in one sitting, um, some interesting things happen. First of all, I never created model sheets for these characters in this strip. Mm -hmm. And when you draw something daily without model sheets, it's going to evolve. I have this this theory in my head that you you create a character, it's it it exists in its ideal form in your, in the back of your head somewhere, but you can't get it out immediately. You have to sort of pull it out of your head. So the first drawings you do of them are not the ideal version of the character. So the more you work with it, eventually it will start looking like the character it's supposed to be. And if right. you look, if you look at any old comic strip, you'll, you'll notice that the early strips look very different from, they look totally different from the later. Yeah. But the, the, the thing with this is, so the character designs, I think, evolved through the year. And by the time I got toward the end, I, I'm really comfortable with the way they look. But if you sit down and read it in one sitting, you're going to see this transformation within a single story. And I, I think that's jarring. Um, so I, I, I'm feeling like I need to go back and uh, do some redrawing on, on some of the early strips so it's not so uh, it doesn't seem so odd uh, and the characters don't evolve so obviously uh, through the through the story yeah, it, it was fun to watch now where can people see your work online and when we know they can get things at the con at the comic cons that you do where can they go online to see your work well um, I would say um, craigboldman.com is a good place to start. Um, and I, I, um, I'll try to, um, put signposts on there, um, to, uh, point you where, to where, uh, my other activities are, um, if, if I've got something going on on Facebook or some other website or something, I'll, I'll try to make sure that I post stuff about that on my website so you can, uh, uh, make your way there and get get the whole story one way or another. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, you can look for me on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, just look for uh, Craig Boldman. I think on Facebook, there's actually another Craig Boldman out there in the world. So, and he got there before I did. So, I'm Craig Boldman one on Facebook. And, and if I if memory serves me correct, I, I followed. Uh... 
the Christmas story on Instagram, but I think on uh, on Facebook you've got a separate page just for tomorrow, for Christmas Never Sleeps. Yes, that's true. That's true. So um, um, I'll use this uh, uh, chat as a reminder to uh, put something up on my website to uh, uh, so you'll have signposts about where you can go to to look at all this material. That's awesome. Now I, I always ask uh, every everybody who's on playing with Santa Rob the, the big question. Uh oh. You, you get you get a wish you're, you're with santa what you're, you're with santa so you you get you get a wish if, if you could create with anyone write with anyone illustrate for anyone dead or alive who would that be well oh my gosh oh my gosh uh you know i gotta say i've been awfully fortunate to be able to work with my some of my most favorite creators i've gotten to do superman stories with kurt swan uh with kurt schaffenberger and um there was even this one story do you have do we have time for an anecdote we've got all the time we need okay so um so uh, some years after i graduated from the joe kubert school uh they invited me back to give a talk and um, so I uh, just um, uh, stood before the, the current class and told them how I was getting along in the uh, big bad world out there, uh, uh, the comics industry. And um, I told them little stories about uh, how I liked these lighthearted Superman stories and that's what I was doing for them. And one of the students, said um he asked me if i remembered this old superman story uh silver age story about gallo okay and uh i did remember this story it was a it was a, a story about uh superman ran into this alien uh called gallo who sort of looked like a flying dinosaur and uh it could make itself look like anything um it had uh, um like um chameleon like power so it could make itself look like a building it could make itself look like a car a train a plane uh people and it was creating all sorts of havoc um this story was illustrated by wayne boring who was one of the earliest superman artists he was uh, an assistant to um, jerry siegel and joe schuster and so he was there from the very beginning and he, he illustrated this story. Well, um, the so Superman um, had the um, uh, he he had to try to figure out what what is the motive of this alien. And well, as it turns out, in the end, um, the reason why it's creating all this trouble is not because it's evil, but it's because it's a, a, a child. It's a, a very young alien. And is just playing games. Okay. So um, I think its parents come back, or Superman gets its parents and sends it. So anyway, uh, it was a happy ending. Uh, he didn't get in trouble or anything. Well, anyway, so this this the student at the Kubert School said, yeah, I, "I like that Gallo story. Why don't you do a sequel to that Gallo story?" And uh, I said, uh, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so uh, I saw no reason not to, and. Um, 
I think I tucked that idea away and eventually um, I thought, yeah, I guess I will do a Gallo story. I'll do a sequel to that story. And so I, I, I wrote a little eight pager uh, bringing back Gallo and um, and then I told the editor, Julie Schwartz, uh, uh, what, what this was. It was a sequel to an old story. And I said, you know, by right, Wayne Boring should be the one who draws this story. Well, Wayne Boring had retired um, long since. Mm -hmm. But uh, Julie said, oh, I'll call him up and see if he wants to do it. So oh. he did do that. And uh, so Wayne Boring, who was, again, one of the great Superman artists and one that I never thought I'd get a chance to, to work with. He illustrated that story. Wow. And um, so then sometime after that, I was at, um, I think it was, I think I was at a con the convention in um, uh, Cleveland, maybe some, Northern Ohio. Um, and one of the guests there was, um, uh, Graham Nolan, he was a Batman artist, mm -hmm. and um, he created Bane, the the um, uh, the villain, the Batman villain Bane. Okay, that's my <clears> favorite <throat> villain. Yeah. So um, he says to me, he says, uh, "Do you remember giving a talk at the Kubert School and and uh, a guy suggesting you do a Gallo story?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "I was that student." Oh, wow. So, so there's that. So Graham Nolan <laughs> asked me to draw a Gallo story, uh, write a Gallo story and led to all that. So that's very cool. It's the, 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 the comic community seems uh, like a pretty great place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice community and uh, of course loaded with talent and it's sad to see, um, all my favorite heroes disappearing one by one. And it's uh, sobering to think, well, now we're the guys. Um, but uh, so it goes. Um, but let's see. I, I guess I, if to get back to your, uh, to the wish. Um, my, my first, my first thought would be, uh, I'd like to do a story with uh, Sam Schwartz, my favorite Jughead uh, artist, but I actually got to do one of those too. Uh, so, oh, I know what. Well, let's make it Jack Kirby. How about Jack Kirby? Jack Kirby. He's the obvious anyway, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, give me one Jack Kirby, please. One Jack Kirby. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll work on that one. Okay. Uh, I, I, just, I just thought of a couple other things that, that that just came into my mind. Sure. Have you ever been rifling through your stuff at, at home and run across something that you totally forgot about that you did years ago? Uh, oh, I'm doing that right now. Oh, uh, I'm doing actually the, the, um, Taylor Poe stories that I'm working on now. Um, they're from the bottoms of boxes and, uh, um, in old folders and, because I, I write this stuff down and um, I, I, I write everything on little scraps of paper. It's, it's horrible. Uh, I, my, I go out to the store or something and I come home and I have to pull out these big wads of scraps of paper where I've jotted down little 
ideas for greeting cards and story springboard right. ideas and stuff. And I never get around to doing anything with them, but I, I put these things away. And so, yeah, this last uh, month or two, I, I decided I maybe it's time once a decade to actually go through some of this stuff and see if any of it still works. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I had, I, I would jot down ideas for Taily post stories because I, like I say, I enjoy working on them, even if I don't have plans to publish them immediately. Right. And uh, I, I found some that I, I still liked. I thought they were pretty good. So uh, I'm working on those right now. That's then, then the the last thing that then I'll let you go. I, I know you've had to have uh, you've been doing comic cons quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm sure that you get a lot of kids come up to and say, "Hey, I want to I want to be an artist. I want to be a cartoonist. I want to be a writer. I want to do what you do." What kind of advice can you give to to a to a youngster who wants to do what you do? What 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 strong advice would you give them? Um. Y- y- well, I mean, I always tell them. I first of all, I ask them if if they. I ask them if they like to draw. I ask them if they draw every day, and um, if if it seems like it's something that they really enjoy doing, I just tell them. Um keep that pencil moving um just i get comments from a lot of adults uh saying they wish they could do this stuff but they could never do it and i i just tell them i say it's like it's like anything else you have to do it every day you just have to do it and the the way to get it done is is to do it and what i think happens is people will they'll be interested in drawing. They'll try drawing a picture. It won't be any good. And that'll be the end of that. But um, I, I advise them to push through that. If, if, if drawing is something you want to do, just get, you have to accept the fact that you have to do a lot of really bad drawings before you get to the good ones. Right. And um, the, the people in this business who are successful are the ones that didn't have the sense to stop drawing when they started you know, when they cranked out some really awful looking drawings, they kept drawing anyway. Right. And so you just have to, I mean, you do it by doing it is basically it. If you, if you just, and if you, if it's something that you really want to do, then, then you will do it. Um, you, you have to start out, I think, to uh, entertain yourself. Um, but um the the key to it is just to keep your pencil moving and and one thing i've noticed while talking to you i I think another piece would be have fun with it because it sounds like you've had a blast this whole time yeah i have you know the i i've been i've been very fortunate to work with um with editors who didn't they they didn't micromanage what I was doing. They like Victor Gorelick, uh with Archie Comics, and the same with Julie Schwartz. Um, they they didn't uh, they didn't heavily edit my work. Uh, uh, Victor 
I think his philosophy was just to locate people that he knew had a, a good grasp on what the characters, uh, what the stories required and what the characters were. And he, he would find people that he, he knew would not veer outside the uh, uh, boundaries of what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And then he would just uh, let us go. Uh, so oh. he would rarely touch a story that I, that I would write. Uh, the only, the only time, the only time I'd hear from him really would be is, is if I was maybe getting a little behind on a deadline and he'd say, we need this thing this week or whatever. Um, or if there would be some, um, unknown rule that I had crossed. Um, there was like a character that I used that for some reason or other, they didn't want to use that character anymore. Right. Um, but other than that, I would just, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even tell him what I was going to write about. I would just write a story a week and send it to him. And that would be that. So you and can't it, get better than that. And, and nowadays you could self publish and I even worry about editors. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a whole different ball game now. It, yeah. it, it's a totally different world, but Craig, I kept you on here a really long time. I can't tell you how much fun this was. Rob, I, th this was fun. I, I, uh, I, uh, I wondered if I would have anything to say, but, uh, I seem to have filled, uh, uh, some airspace. So we, you know, I, I think this is going to be a big one. It's, it's funny that I'm even doing this podcast. I've just got so many weird connections, whether it be music and <laughs> Christian rock or classic rock or comics because of my connection with all the comic cons, thanks to Ron. And, uh, you know, guys like you and Dave, it just, it's made it more fun. So I enjoy going to these things next. Well, and, I'll, uh, I'll be at the Cincinnati uh, Comic Expo again this year, I believe. So uh, maybe, you will, maybe you'll be there. I hope... I won't be there the first night because I uh, I double booked myself. <laughs> oh, Rob! My my daughter's a big fan of uh, Greta Van Fleet, the the new hippest rock band. So her and I are going to go see them. Okay, well on the we on the first night. So I I think we'll I think what I might do is jump on the Goldwing and hang out in Cincinnati for both the Saturday and Sunday. Okay, very good. As otherwise, I'll be in. Where am I going to be? I'm going to be in Gem City in Dayton next month. Okay. So, but hey, thanks a lot for being here. And, uh, you know, we may even do a part two when Christmas Never Sleeps re comes back out. Oh, we'll have to do that. I, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, um, oh, yeah, when I have something to say about that, I'm, there's no way I'm gonna, uh, uh, sit by and not let you, uh, <laughs> uh, have something to say about it. As, as much as I love your work with the Archies, Christmas Never Sleeps, that did it for me. That was it. <laughs> that was okay, it. Okay, Rob. Hey, thanks, Craig, and we will talk again soon. Okay, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with, uh, with Craig Boldman half, half as much as I did. Learning... Uh, his uh, his history and uh, I just love talking about comics. You know, I had no idea about the Superman writing. You know, I, we learned so much. So I hope there's another uh, Christmas Never Sleeps. Uh, 
uh, strip that comes out sometime soon. So thank you, Craig. It was a lot of fun. Also, of course, thank you to Brett Christmas Mustache Wax. That's bscenterprises.com. One of my awesome sponsors. If you uh, like uh, to curl up your mustache the way I do, he's got a ton of different fragrances for guys. Go to his website, bscenterprises.com. Use discount code SANTAROB and save 15% on your order. And also a big thank you to Brad White at hotspotcollectiblesandtoys.com. If you like collecting things, whether it be action figures, Star Wars, video game systems, old video games himself, he's got everything at, uh, at his website. Once again, use discounts code uh, discount code santarob.com save 15% on your order so thank you guys thank you all for supporting small businesses like these guys and thanks for listening once again to episode 11 of slaying it with santa rob and we will see you next week oh, oh, oh.